Maverick has gone forward with Stewart to the right, Lineker and Howes to the left. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! That is schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it. Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Before we get going, your trivia question, Jeff. Quite simple question. What is the largest age gap between two managers whose teams are playing each other? So the largest age gap, and give you a bit of a clue, one of them happened a few weeks ago. All right, we'll find out at the end of the show. Before that, well, we're coming towards the end of the season, so we've got a lot to get through, uh, including an FA Cup final, not short of controversy as well. But before that, let's have a little look back at what happened during the week the day this podcast went out last week Arsenal beat Chelsea at Chelsea making it a little bit tight in the top four yeah the the, the problem for Tuchel is why did his players not score they, they had most of the ball but possession doesn't win you matches putting the ball in the goal does so the groundsman and Woodwich got away with it got three points um, I think that's fantastic because it means they'll they'll keep him and he's useless so so I'm, I'm, I'm happy I'm quite relaxed yeah I hate to see the Woolwich win in anything but actually that made it a little bit more interesting and it did mean as you say um, their manager will stay the big result during last week before the weekend's games was the second uh, Man United game of the week uh, Manchester United 2 Liverpool 4 yeah um, Liverpool were well worth it they were far far underway the better, better side Man United's goals were consolations uh, I thought Liverpool played very well um, but that isn't really the story the story is the team that um, the Solskjaer put out and he, he seems to created this narrative which all the journalists are buying into that Manchester United are somehow victims of this and oh god they've got to play three games with only two days between each game well Tottenham have done that with with runs of four games and five games close together twice in the last year and nobody's nobody's said a word about it but because it's Manchester United oh oh, oh, this is terrible and Solskjaer said it's unheard of well it's not unheard of it's happened twice in the last 12 months with Tottenham so get over yourself and you know just to put a few facts out there as well why is it that Manchester United have got off scot-free without being punished for their fans rioting and for the fact that they allowed fans into the stadium which caused the match to be postponed normally not fulfilling a fixture is minimum three points deduction and any club is responsible for the behaviour of their fans and yet Manchester United are somehow the victims in all this it's absolutely disgraceful yes and you're not just saying that because it would make uh, make it more interesting and Man United could drop out the top four um, yeah it's right they haven't been punished and I think Solskjaer should be uh, under those circumstances keeping his mouth shut and not trying to make excuses and highlight the whole situation and also you're right yeah Tottenham went through though that kind of week twice this season and even Jose Mourinho made less of it than Solskjaer has all right uh, let's have a look at what else has been going on your favorite team for ridicule Newcastle United have suddenly become a football club Jonglers FC became Newcastle United football club again in the last in the last month and you know as as regular listeners will know I'm, I'm no fan of Steve Bruce as a manager but you have to say he's looking quite good and Newcastle looked like a football team and okay they they lost the match to City but it was 4-3 score three goals against City I mean that, that's that's a, they looked good and the the puzzle in all of this is why do Newcastle fans 
hate Bruce? Maybe the answer is because they think he's Mike Ashley's boy doing everything that he's told. Well, okay. But if you look at the look at the positions, Steve Bruce is within one point of the points got by Benitez. And Benitez is the fans' favourite, but he's only got one point more than Steve Bruce. So f- for these Newcastle fans, it, everything bad that happens is Steve Bruce's, Bruce's fault, and everything good has got nothing to do with him. I mean, the guy's a decent manager. And just to prove that, he won Manager of the Month for the month of April. Quite rightly so because they had a great run and then to this month to come away 3-4 losers against Man City like you say to score 3 against City I don't know if anybody's done that have they this season? I don't know if, if I had to guess I'd say Leeds might have done but uh, yeah. but no you're right and in the in the build up to the match they, they showed the stats of the last five matches the last five matches for Newcastle last five matches for City and both of them had won three out of the last five and when Guardiola was saying of course we're taking this seriously they're a good team the the interviewer was sort of suggesting that he was being patronising he wasn't just look at the stats both teams playing in opposition that day had won three out of their last five they both went into it thinking this is an even game we've got to win it and the 4-3 tells the story yeah so uh, we're going to have to give credit to um, Newcastle because it is definitely due be interesting to see what happens with them next season because their, their position is not great this season but hopefully for them they'll kick on alright then Saturday we had an FA Cup final but also Premier League games but let's start with the FA Cup final not short of controversy and drama and actually a bit of romance with the way it finished yeah I mean I like most most people who were not Chelsea supporters I think you think oh fantastic that Leicester won what, you know, and they were a lovely club and that was shown at the end when the players went to find the owner to take him down and and receive the cup and that was that's phenomenal how many other clubs could say that that the players would go to find the owner to do it I thought it was absolutely wonderful and Tielemans goal was well a goal to win at any cup final it's a goal you dream about when you're when you're a boy playing football that you know you're going to score a screamer to win the FA Cup final that was just that was even Roy of the Rovers stuff it was absolutely wonderful but it should have been chalked off because Perez did handle the ball immediately before the ball went to Tielemans and it wasn't even referred to VAR and the replay showed the guy's Perez's arm was away from his body definitely hit his hand how was that not given handball and Chilwell got the got a perfectly good goal very late on which was chalked off for offside and one of those offside decisions where it depends how wide the how wide the line was that they drew for it which completely ignores the laws of football the law states very clearly that if it if there is any doubt and there clearly was doubt there then it should go in favour of the attacking team so again they rewrote the laws of football on the spot and I think Wes, Wes Morgan was very very thankful that happened because actually it was an own goal not Chilwell's goal the game I think was there for Chelsea to win they certainly had all the possession they just didn't create enough chances the, the scenes that we saw at the end were just absolutely wonderful and I think most most supporters of most other teams would think oh I wish it was like that at our club yes I mean the result was what I think anybody but Chelsea fans wanted everybody wanted the small club if you like or the underdogs certainly the club with the least budget to win and they did but um, it was under controversial circumstances yeah I, I think it's the the relevant point is the club that was not in the big six is the one that 
people wanted to win. The club that's won the, the Premier League title five years ago and now won the FA Cup and not invited into the big six. Yes, and as you say, the owner, um, you know, taking over for, from his father after that uh, tragic helicopter crash, clearly loving it in a way that you don't expect an owner to react, as in he was loving it as a fan and you really felt that he was, past, as you say, the, the players actually dragged him from the stands. But he was hugging Brendan Rodgers, but hugging him closely. It was a real hug. It wasn't for the cameras. He was hugging all the players. And then there's lovely pictures of him hugging and kissing the FA Cup like it was for him a sporting achievement. It wasn't, I bought this club, I'm taking X amount of money out. He fulfilled some sort of destiny for himself and possibly, you know, for his father. I think that was important. But you do feel that Leicester and their owners have created a culture that the rest of us can only envy. They have a family culture. It's a family there. Yes, I think for that reason, everybody was was, uh, delighted to see Leicester win. Sadly, it was uh, possibly not correct, as in VAR and the the handball and everything. And yet, I'm happy about it, and I'm very pleased. No scenes with the owner kind of made everything just right. It was brilliant. As I say, not part of the big six and all that. It's an amazing thing that the Leicester owners have done there with such a limited budget. But Brendan Rodgers has done something incredible. Yeah, um, you know, we're back to to Brendan and, you know, all, all the jokes, and I make them as well, that Brendan Rodgers is nearly as good as he thinks he is but there, there's some lovely there's been some lovely comment about Rodgers over the over the last week and before the FA Cup there was a very good article which which um, posited a quiz which of these stories about Brendan Rodgers is true story A when he was a youth team coach at Chelsea he once tried to cheer up an out of form John Terry by commissioning a bespoke motivational poem which he then had framed or story B when his Swansea side won promotion to the Premier League he celebrated by going off to climb Mount Kilimanjaro with Chris Kamara. <laughs> Chris Kamara couldn't work out where the mountain was. Was it behind me? <laughs> Story C. When he meets young players for the first time, he draws them a little stick figure with a crown on its head in order to illustrate that they are kings of their own destiny. And so which of those is true? I, d- I don't know. They so all sound so fanciful. Well, actually, they're all true. This is the legend of Rogers, the people person, friend to the stars, all-round wit. For some, this sort of stuff renders him ripe for ridicule. And yet, let's look at the evidence. A visibly moved John Terry scored in his next Chelsea game and dedicated the goal to Rogers. The Kilimanjaro jaunt was a long-standing charity commitment, raising £400,000 in the against cancer, the disease to which he lost both his parents. And when your record of youth development includes Raheem Sterling, Philippe Coutinho, Kieran Tierney, Harvey Barnes and James Madison, perhaps it's fair to say that his methods have some merit. Yeah, I mean, we've, we have ridiculed, we have used Brendan Rodgers as a butt of jokes, and I'm sure he's big enough and strong enough to take it, and also successful enough for us to be the petty ones in the argument, but that just goes to prove that all the weird things that he does, like the stick figure and the poem, may sound weird to us, but actually... Actually, he knows what he's doing and it works and who are we to say that it's ridiculous so I mean you've got to give big props to Brendan Rodgers he's taken them they've been in the top four all season they've won an FA Cup they're most likely probably going to get Champions League football next season and on a budget that is absolutely incredible all of that success is down to his quality as a coach and how he how he sorts his team out and puts them there they have a history of selling their selling their best or most valuable players over the last few years but he keeps coming up with great signings as well and you know Ndidi and Tielemans are two of them so fair play to him yeah I think we'll end that section with fair play to Brendan Rodgers well done to Leicester and their owners who I think you know those of us that have a Levy or a Cronke or a Glazier as their owner can only uh, stand in awe and envy at there were Premier League games that very same day which we find a little bit 
odd with uh, FA, the FA Cup being the oldest trophy in the world and all that kind of thing. It seemed wrong. But however, uh, Leeds United, having beaten Tottenham the previous week, then went on to stick four past Burnley away. Yeah, Bielsa's train keeps on running, doesn't it? You never know what you're going to get from them. They play the same way every week. They do the same things. Sometimes they score a lot of goals and sometimes they ship a lot of goals. This was a very, very good performance. But you did have the feeling that Burnley, knowing they're safe, were not at 100%. And I think that the next game, Southampton 3, Fulham 1. Well, you know, good for Southampton, finishing the season strongly. Fulham already down. Not a lot we can say about that. So we move on to one that we can have a lot to say about. Brighton 1, West Ham 1. For me, that was almost a, a must-win game for West Ham. It was a must-win game, and it's one that West Ham should have won. West Ham didn't create nearly enough chances. Declan Rice was back and and looked just magnificent for 65 minutes, but his lack of match fitness counted against him in the last 20. Yeah, it's it is what it is. West Ham should have won, and they didn't. And I think that will be the story of the end of the season because with five games remaining, West Ham had by far the easiest running of anybody. Yeah. I mean, your nearest rivals, Liverpool, Tottenham and Everton, we have uh, got much stronger run-ins, uh, much more difficult run-ins. So I would say you kind of blew it there a little bit, uh, especially since Tottenham then went on to beat Wolves 2-0. Now, I know we could say it's only Wolves, but they're a tough team to beat. I know they weren't playing with a striker and that kind of thing, but I, having watched Tottenham throughout this season, the ups and the downs, I think that's one of the best performances I've seen from Tottenham in a long while. They played as a team. And I think the standouts for me uh, were Gareth Bale, who had an excellent, solid game, and Deli Alley, who was exceptional. Yeah, Deli Alley was was really good. He had a very, very good game. He was man of the match. And as a result of that performance from him, suddenly people are saying, "Oh, maybe he should get into the, the team for the Euros." Um, personally, I don't know. If you have one spare place, yes. But if you put him in, then you are saying that he will definitely play. Otherwise, there's no point in it. Personally, I'm not convinced because I think England are blessed with attacking attacking midfield players and I think he's not at the front of the queue but he certainly played extremely well. it was the old Dele Alli was back definitely the question for for Tottenham is yes they played extremely well and they did what we've, we've been saying on here for you know forever for 80 odd 80 odd episodes is when Tottenham actually inject some pace in the game and get the ball forward fast they look very good it's only this Mourinho start turn round pass the ball backwards part the bus crap that, that has cost you and with the possibility that Kane will win the golden boot, Son will be second and they will also be first and second in the assists table, you'd have to ask where's it gone wrong for Tottenham? Yeah, it's a weird one, yeah, I mean they could have two of our players up there in the uh, goals and assists as you say and yet Tottenham could finish 6th, 7th or 8th uh, we are two games away from the end of the season as we record this, I think one of the things that stood out from that game Regulon, who is a defender, spends a little bit too much time attacking but he is superb on the wing and he may made that goal by perseverance and strength and that is something that's been missing from Tottenham is that desire and he wouldn't stop and he won the ball back and cut it back and Hoiberg actually got the rebound from Gareth Bale's hitting the bar um, and Hoiberg is, has played every minute of every Premier League game can you believe every single minute nobody else has for Tottenham and possibly inconsistency at the back and topping and changing hasn't helped but it is that playing as a team instead of a defensive zone a midfield zone and an attacking zone and th- nevertheless three shall meet has been the problem yeah the thing about Hoiberg in that match was it, it's probably the first time we've seen over the course of the whole match Hoi, the, the Hoiberg that 
Pep Guardiola was so in love with at Bayern and that you know when he was very very young lad and Guardiola was thrilled to be able to get him in his team and unfortunately Hoiberg then had a succession of terrible injuries which had really affected his career but all of a sudden he looked like the complete midfield player that everyone thought he was going to be when he was 18. I started to worry when I saw him near the edge of the area I thought he'd get altitude sickness and, par- and pass out but, but actually he kept his head for that that rebound it slotted it in brilliantly it was a lovely goal. Um, Ryan Mason who tactically of course and experience wise is has nothing as a manager but he does give very good press interviews and he's very non-committal about things very diplomatic about things but he was asked about Hoiberg's goal and he said yeah I was delighted of course you know to get the second he also did say which I agree really we should have got three or four in that game uh, he said I did ask him afterwards what he thought he was doing that far up the pitch what was he doing in the six art area he also said Ryan Mason which I thought was quite funny and maybe you know a problem for a manager he said you know they said Harry Kane has been on a goal drought he hasn't scored for three games and he got a goal finally and it was his first goal under Ryan Mason and Ryan Mason said yeah the thing is Harry's my best mate which is a bit of a problem possibly when he's the manager he said and I had said to him previously I'm only in charge of this team for seven games I'll be very disappointed if you don't score at least once so at least we've broken that duck so obviously Ryan Mason delighted he's admitting of course that he won't be manager he knows that going back to Deli Alley just quickly because he was interviewed after the game I don't think he expects even to be considered for the Euros because he was talking about next season and he was asked by Tottenham TV if we finish this season strongly that gives us something to go and carry on into next season have a strong start and he said yes a lot of the players will be going away for the Euros and when they come back and he was talking about other people and certainly not including himself it's possible that Southgate will, will have this wild card selection and yeah you, you, Chris has just said Southgate was there watching the match maybe Southgate was there watching the match because he'll be the next Tottenham manager oh dear <laughs> well, I, I mean, I wouldn't want that. But at the moment, the way things are, I just want a manager. I just want a manager to be decided. I understand that they're taking their time over and maybe that's a good thing. But I think it would be important to have a manager in place before the Euros start so that the manager has time to think of who he wants to get rid of because there are a few that need getting rid of, who he wants to bring in, what he's going to do about Gareth Bale, what's going to happen with Harry Kane, who's going to replace him and have a proper pre-season with them. And the longer it goes on, the less time he has for any of those issues whoever the next manager will be will know and that is one he isn't going to have Harry Kane because Tottenham need the money money very very badly so they will accept any decent offer for him and won't have Gareth Bale either because they can't afford to pay him so those two things we know will Dali Ali go and join Pochettino at Paris Saint-Germain possible I think personally more probable than possible not sorting out the manager I think is is a huge problem for them and who will they get and I think maybe Levy is sort of looking at the top table and I don't think those managers would be interested in Tottenham at the moment. This is the problem. I keep talking about a short list and, but it's getting shorter because there are less people available that are up to the job and the few people that are left on it really are either inexperienced or I don't think up to the job. So who's left? Yeah, I, I think Tottenham are in the position that um, the Woolwich were in a season or so before when they were trying to replace Emery. Ancelotti turned them down for two reasons. One, he wasn't going to get enough money to sort the squad out and two 
He didn't want the interference from the idiots that are currently running the club and, and proving Ancelotti to be 100% correct. They are idiots. They know nothing. They're ruining the club and he was right to turn it down. I think those factors will, will play into the mind of any any manager that is sort of top table. The only one I can think of that might take it anyway would be Allegri, who's been out of work for two years and nobody's come in for him. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a reason for that, which could be, I don't know, dodgy or could be a, an issue at least. And having been out of work, you know, he may have missed a lot of progress, a lot of changes in the game, practice, practical sort of day-to-day feelings about the game. Of all the ones that are left in the running, I think he'd probably be the go-to choice for me now. Because Graham Potter, love his football, but I don't think he's ready to repeat that at a club as big as Tottenham. Who else is there? Eddie Howe, they reckon Celtic job, got the Celtic job. There's also Simone Inzaghi, who's also a candidate. We know not enough about, I suppose, to say yay or nay, but he's a fairly big name with some success story to him. Yeah, I and uh, he'll be swapping swapping Lazio for Tottenham, so clubs of the same sort of size, and they'll both miss out on Champions League. So you know it's it's possible. I don't think Simone Inzaghi is a, a top table manager yet, but he's certainly a very promising one and 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 a good one. The, I think the, the the pitch against Allegri is okay. He won those five at least five um, Serie A titles with Juventus, but he followed on from Conte. Juventus hadn't won for seven years, then Conte came in, won it, won. Serie are three years in a row and all Allegri did was take over take over that side and continue when Milan Inter and in fact everyone else in Serie A was badly struggling and couldn't put a put a fight together uh, so Conte went back to Inter they haven't won it for what, 11 years and they win it this season so it's that kind of that counts against Allegri because everyone is reminded oh yeah it was Conte that was responsible for those nine trophies in a row yeah, Inter actually have done incredibly well this season fantastic performance until they brought Arturo Vidal in no one in their squad had ever won a championship in a top five league and they've won it comfortably it's been a fantastic performance so if Tottenham could get hold of Conte that would be an amazing decision but I think they'll probably be left with the people who want to get to the top table but are not sitting at it yes there is still talk of Conte being on the list although he you know is still in situ and having won the, you know so much why would he leave why would he leave but on the other hand you know people want challenges don't they and maybe he's not happy with the hierarchy where he is so I, I welcome him with open arms even though he's ex-Chelsea manager ex-Chelsea manager who won the Premier League yeah so he can be forgiven um, and you know if you're looking at if you're looking at either Scott Parker or ex-Chelsea manager Conte you can please give me Conte uh, every day of the week and twice on Sunday so that's a saga that will continue the other game on Sunday apart from what I thought was a very comfortable and reassuring for me as a Tottenham fan win by Tottenham sadly it is a team as you say that those players that were there probably won't be there next season however the other big game was full of controversy and controversially maybe we are saying and I think we both believe there was credible evidence of bias towards Liverpool West Bromwich Albion 1 Liverpool 2 both of Liverpool's goals coming from very very bad refereeing decisions well one of them is an absolutely unbelievable decision with the dictionary definition of unbelievable something that was impossible to believe had just (laughs) happened the referee again rewrote the laws of football when the I think it was Fabinho went close to the referee and brushed past him and then afterwards about two yards afterwards lost possession of the ball the referee gave him a free kick there is nothing nowhere in the laws that allows the referee to give Fabinho a free kick for that if he had got in the way of Fabinho and changed the trajectory of the ball or caused Fabinho to lose the ball then he can give a drop 
football but there is nothing in the laws of football that allow him to give a free kick it was an absolute disgrace and it's not the first time this season that referees have rewritten the laws Balbuena's sending off for West Ham was one apparently now you can kick the ball and be sent off for kicking the ball and now it's a free kick offence if you brush past the back of the referee it was a disgrace and that led directly to Liverpool's goal and they took the free kick quickly now in that situation if it had been an indirect free kick offence then the referee should have allowed the defence to reset themselves and he didn't they took a quick free kick from five yards in front of where the offence took took place and Liverpool just went up and scored yeah my understanding of the rule is if for example I don't know Fabinho passed the ball to Salah and it had gone between the referee's legs and gone back to a West Brom player the referee should stop the game and award an indirect free kick but actually what Fabinho did was just try and push the referee out the way and then kick the ball and lost possession so it not being West Brom's fault because in well in the case of it hitting the referee that's not West Brom's fault so the, in any circumstance like that the opposing team should be allowed time to regroup because it was they didn't commit an offence they didn't com- commit the foul so they should be allowed all the time in the world to regroup before the kick was taken it was taken before any of the West Brom players even knew why it was being taken and they went on and scored directly through Mo Salah the second goal that won Liverpool the game and possibly will be the goal that gets them into the top four was for me too double edged really because in one way it was brilliant because it was a goalkeeper that scored it with one of the most powerful headers you'll see this season the other thing was there was four minutes added on after the 90 in the 95th minute 95 minutes and 16 seconds Alisson scores they didn't get awarded the the corner that it came from until after 94 minutes yeah and we were joking we we watched it in our bar here and uh, we we were joking that the referee would give Liverpool five minutes or as long as it took them to score he then booked the West Brom goalkeeper Johnston for time wasting but that was before he announced the amount of time to be added on that was during the 90 minutes before he'd announced the, the injury time. And I was watching it to see there was, there was no break in play. There was no stoppage in play. Nobody went down injured. No substitutions. There was no time wasting by West Brom. And as you say, it was in the fifth minute. Where did he get one minute from? Where did he get 25% of that time? 25% of that time added on afterwards. He was very clearly playing long enough for Liverpool to score. The header was fantastic. It was like, it reminded me of Dennis Law diving one way heading back the other and he really bent his neck round it was a, a perfect header it was fantastic but where did that extra minute and a half come from a minute and a half in four minutes it's an absolute disgrace and nobody's mentioning it yes it's fun I mean all the emphasis or attention has been on Alisson scoring and he was very emotional about it talking about his father and everything and it was a beautiful story which did detract or deflect attention away from the fact that it, it shouldn't have happened the whistle should have gone 76 seconds before that and uh, so really it looked like Liverpool were being gifted that had West Bromwich Albion not already been relegated and that would have been the game that relegated them that would have been an absolute travesty it still is a travesty because it's it's had a material impact on Chelsea Leicester and West Ham so it's just an absolute it's just a shocking disgrace the combination of giving a free kick where there is nothing in the laws that allows the referee to give a free kick for that to give that and then to play 76 seconds extra to give Liverpool time to score it's an absolute disgrace Mike Riley and the, the I'll repeat this the limited company that runs referees for the Premier League in other words it's a 
profit-making organisation, the referees PGMOL, he's, he's just rewriting the rules of the game as he goes along. It's an absolute disgrace. I think we both agree, and we are surprised that it hasn't been mentioned more in the press, that there did seem to me clear intent to help Liverpool to win that game. And I feel very sorry for West Bromwich Albion, who put up a great display and actually went 1-0 ahead. And also, West Brom had a goal disallowed, which would have put them 2-1 ahead. So I think, all in all, West Brom were, were screwed and they were robbed of a very credible and uh, honest three points. And I think Liverpool's three points were completely dishonest and were gifted them by the referee, who was... None other than Mike Dean. What a surprise. High time for him to retire, Jeff. Well, he is only seven years older than the limit, the, the age limit for Premier League referees, so maybe it is time, yeah. Another game that was uh, actually had some great interest, despite the fact it featured a relegated team, but it did feature a team that is competing with West Ham and Tottenham for a European place, Everton, who lost 1-0 at home to Sheffield United. And for us, who support competing teams, before that game we would have thought, well, that's another three points to Everton. And yet, 17-year-old and 300 days Jebison scores the only goal for United 17 year old Jebison scores the only goal on his debut for Sheffield United yes Dortmund have been after him all season and Sheffield United have been kept refusing to sell him he scored 23 goals in 25 matches for their under 23 side maybe a Premier League club will sign him next season um, maybe West Ham because West Ham need a centre forward very badly and, and this this lad looks the real deal every movement he makes every time he receives the ball how he receives it how he lays it off he's the real deal he's a very very good player the questions about Everton continue they've only won five times at home this season five times that is a Premier League record for the fewest number of games won in a season at home yeah just a side note to uh, Daniel Jebison earlier this season he was on loan from Sheffield United at Northern League Chorley what a story what a story and I definitely want to watch yeah just like who had heard of Jamie Vardy when he was playing non-league football and there was Jamie Vardy in the FA Cup final having played in I think he's the first player to play in every single round of the FA Cup and win it I mean it's a phenomenal story and he's an amazing amazing player and he should be part of Southgate's Euro squad because if there's an injury to Kane he's the natural replacement yeah I mean Vardy did retire didn't he so it would be nice to have him there as backup definitely at the other game on Sunday uh, which we can just briefly mention because it was a, a bit of a it was a five goal thriller the Crystal Palace three Aston Villa two Benteke scoring I know you he scored for about four weeks in a row um, but every week you say he's rubbish but he, does, he previously to those four weeks he hadn't probably hadn't scored for 14 um, lo- a lot longer than that actually yeah, there are centre halves who scored more goals than Benteke in the last two seasons well quite a few of them actually no Benteke is not he's not a Premier League centre forward but he got the goal and Palace did that that thing that they do every season towards the end of the season they come up with some great results the problem they've got is their manager is out of contract and since he hasn't been offered a new contract he obviously they obviously want him to go but Palace also have 15 players out of contract this summer and the bad news for them is all their best players are over 30 years old so there's a huge huge rebuilding job at Crystal Palace to do and like nearly every other Premier League club they've got no money so how they do it is going to be interesting to watch. Away from uh, the English Premier League, there's been some interesting things happen- happening over in Germany. Yeah, the thing that which made all of the the headlines over here was uh, Robert Lewandowski equaling Gert Muller's tally of 40 league goals in a season. And when when he when he scored the goal, he lifted his shirt up and underneath was a t-shirt with a printed picture of Gert Muller, the bomber. He paid tribute to him, which I thought was class. That was really, really good. The second thing of real interest in Germany was that Dortmund won the German 
German Cup and they also made it into the, the top four so they will definitely play Champions League football next season which means that Haaland is going nowhere so even if someone can can come up with the money Dortmund can keep him and actually I think for Haaland that will be his best choice Dortmund two months ago were a long way away from the Champions League positions and looking as if they didn't know how they were going to get there they sacked their manager but put the uh, one of the coaches the interim in who, who was actually the assistant coach to Slaven Bilic at West Ham but a lifelong Dortmund fan there's lots of pictures of him standing in the wall cheering Dortmund uh, cheering Dortmund goals and matches the difference in the team Jaden Sancho Dortmund looked very bad when Sanchez was injured and he's been injured for a lot this season he's come back and he's he's the difference he is the best English player playing at the moment without a question he got two goals in the in the cup final could have got a hat-trick but he dallied on the ball and it it got away from him but he has been the difference in that team when he was out they struggled to win he comes back and they've been on a run that's guaranteed Champions League football next season Jaden Sancho will Southgate will Southgate pick him Southgate has made it very plain that he doesn't like Sancho doesn't want to pick him because on the the occasions when he does he plays him out of position so he can then turn around and say see he's no good he is without question the best English player currently playing last season he got as many goals as Raheem Sterling and as many assists as De Bruyne in one season in one player so you basically have an extra player on the pitch effectively he's absolutely fantastic and never mind Jamie Vardy, he has definitely got to be on Gareth Southgate's list for the Euros. News from Spain, Barcelona are going to finish third. I don't think they can even challenge for second. Uh, so it's all very tight at the top. Yes, and um, what an irony. What an irony, because Atletico look as if they could and should win La Liga this season. And why will that be? Well, it will all be down to, might all be down to, but a large part of that is down to Suarez, whom Barcelona decided was not good enough for them. They paid him to leave so Atletico didn't have to pay a, a transfer sum he was paid to leave and he scored the goals that have, are taking Atletico to the the brink of winning La Liga and he's been fantastic and the, the goal this weekend that took them there very very late in the game it was a typical Atletico performance trying to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory but um, Suarez doesn't play by those rules and it looks like they're going to make it their best player this season has been Kieran Trippier Simone thinks he's absolutely wonderful and he is he's been the best right back English right back in Europe all season long but he's another one who Southgate doesn't like and won't pick he was absolutely fantastic he's made that goal probably 20 times this season that movement and that pass into that place in the penalty area is is, he's superb and he's a better tackler than any of the other right backs that we have as well as being as good an attacker as TA squared of Liverpool yeah, with Trippier, it's very much in the case of Tottenham, a case of seller's remorse. <laughs> I think there's many, and I've seen discussions on Tottenham fan pages on Facebook, talking about who are we going to get next season. A lot of people saying, if only we could get Trippier back, because we do have problems in those positions. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing we, we haven't mentioned yet, which has happened since we've been uh, been off the air, is, is City have been confirmed as winners of the Premier League. City, who were 13th in mid-November, and who the uh, Manchester United's director of football, Darren Fletcher, he, he wrote this on the BBC website. There are profound systemic problems at City, pointing out, quote, 
Pep, mate, no offence, you'll never get by without a proper number nine. Just to remind you, this is Manchester United's director of football writing on the BBC. Manchester City will never get anywhere without a proper number nine. And he seemed unconvinced that the signing of the Benfica defender Ruben Diaz would be enough to turn the defence around. Diaz might be the player of the season. I mean, he's got to be up there with Harry Kane as player of the season. So that really shows you what uh, Manchester United's director of football knows. Since that time, City have gone on a run and been absolutely incredible. Guardiola has completely reshaped the team, playing a completely different set of tactics than he did before. He's given up the high high energy, high press, and he's sat back a little more, guarded the places behind the fullbacks. He's taken the time to completely remodel his side without a centre forward. Gundogan, the mi- attacking midfield player, is their highest scorer. So next time you hear Darren Fletcher talking, you'll you'll understand pinch of salt and all that with him uh, right let's move on to what's going to be happening uh, this last week of the Premier League let's move on to our predictions now as we're recording this it is a Tuesday afternoon and there are Premier League games tonight and tomorrow early evening and evening when this podcast comes out so all the games will have either taken place or being being played so we're going to move straight to the final games of the season all 10 games being played on Sunday at a 3 o'clock uh, UK kickoff time so it is final day of the season. We don't know what's happened in the last few days. So we're going to go blind into these. Arsenal against Brighton. Come on, you seagulls. Yeah, I'd, I'm going to go for 1-1. I'd very much like that. Aston Villa against Chelsea. Grealish is back, but probably not fully fit. It's going to be a Chelsea win, hasn't it? Well, it, it should be a Chelsea win. But I also think Tuchel is going to have uh, smacked some heads behind the scenes. And, and it will be a Chelsea win. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Fulham against Newcastle. I think it will be... 2-0 to Newcastle. And Leeds United against West Brom. Chance for Leeds to get some more points on the board. Yeah, but it is Leeds we're talking about. And they've had a couple of good wins, so they're due a bad loss. So I'll go for something like 3-1 to West Brom. Cool. Uh, Leicester City against Tottenham. Very important game. Bearing in mind what we don't know is what's happened over the last few days. That has 1-1 written all over it for me. As soon as you said it, I thought... 1-1 and I think it will be Liverpool against Crystal Palace another big game yeah Liverpool fans don't like this match very much do they it's, yeah. don't, it's not worked well for them in the past I think a draw I think a draw yeah 1-1 draw that would make it very interesting in the conclusion to the top four Man City the champions against Everton who as you said are better away than they are at home the the only question mark about this team is is what what team does Guardiola put out bearing in mind the Champions League final it's coming up even City's second team should be enough to win that 2-0 a game that probably doesn't have any bearing on anything anymore Sheffield United against Burnley I'll go for another Sheffield United win I think 2-1 and then your team West Ham against Southampton must win yeah it's a must win 2-0 to West Ham and finally although they all playing at the same time but finally for our prediction Wolves against Man United yeah I mean Wolves appear to have given up completely their last few games they've been quite shocking so it'll be I don't know 3-1 to Man United and then we will know what uh, has happened who's got into Europe who hasn't just quickly Jeff do you th- where do you think West Ham will finish this season at the start of the season on, on the radio show that we do for Global I said West Ham will finish between 6th and 8th and everyone laughed and said 7th then so <laughs> I, I think I still I'll stick with that it will be 7th which would mean I think Tottenham can finish 5th or 6th I think that's doable top 4 Man City Man United Leicester Chelsea or Liverpool that will depend on the match between Chelsea and Leicester whoever wins 
wins that match, makes it in the top four. Whoever doesn't drops out. Before we say goodbye, your trivia question and the answer. Okay, the the question was, what is the biggest age gap between two managers competing in the same match? And I suggested that uh, we recently had an example of that, which we did. In the match between Leeds and Tottenham, Bielsa was 35 years and 327 days older than Mason. So he, the, the gap between them was older than actually Mason is. <laughs> But that wasn't the biggest gap. The biggest gap was actually between Bobby Robson and Chris Coleman in a match between Newcastle and Fulham. And Bobby Robson was 37 years and 112 days older than Chris Coleman. 37 years, 37 and a third years older than the other manager. That's amazing. Fantastic. All right, we will be back very soon with more Hitting the Bar. In the meantime, I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. And that was Hitting the Bar, the football podcast.